Hey everyone, thanks for stopping in to listen to my latest sermon. It will begin in just a minute. Before it does, I want to ask a few things of you. First, if you are a regular listener to this podcast and you listen on some type of podcast host, would you subscribe? If you do that, then you'll be notified immediately when a new podcast is uploaded And plus, we have some other audio content in the works, and if you'll subscribe, you'll be one of the first people to know about that. Along those same lines, if you find this podcast and these sermons to be helpful to your life, would you do us a favor and leave us a rating or review on your podcast host? Doing so helps our sermons be heard by more people, and as I've said before, we think that's really important. And finally, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it would be great if you would consider making a financial donation. You can do that by going to creeksidebiblechurch.org give. And actually, one more thing. If God uses this sermon in any way to impact your life, please let me know about it. You can do so by emailing respond at creekside.me. It would Give me great joy to know that God used my words. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. So it's been kind of a weird week for me. I uh, had the sickness. I don't know what it was. I didn't go to a doctor a couple of weeks ago. So like Monday and Tuesday uh, of a week and a half ago or whatever, a couple of weeks ago. And... Uh, after I started to get better from that, my temperature went down and everything seemed fine, I, uh, I started to notice something weird with my eye. And I just thought, eh, I've been sick. I'm sure it's congestion or whatever. And uh, I, it kind of feels blurry. It kind of feels bright. And so I, I didn't think much of it, but it, it lingered into the following week, into this last week. And, and uh, I've said this before in sermons, my wife is like, the opposite of me. She worries about nothing. And and so when my wife says, you should probably go to the doctor, that's about the time I go to the doctor because I'm thinking like I stubbed my toe, I should go to the doctor. Uh, but I don't like them, so I don't. But but she's like, she's like, when she says it, I'm like, well, I'm dying. You know, that's the only reason that Bryn would say you should go to the doctor. And and so I went to the doctor on Thursday morning at, at 9.30 and I honestly just expected them to, to give me some eye drops or something and say, well, you've had a cold, you're fine, uh, go home, why'd you come here, tell your wife not to be paranoid, you know, whatever, and, uh, and it didn't go like that, and so uh, some backstory, if you haven't been around for very long, you may not know this about me, but uh, in 2008, I was diagnosed with MS, and it was a really scary period in life. That's multiple, multiple sclerosis. I do know how to say the word after uh, seven years or whatever. More than that. We're in 2017. Um, and so when I go to the doctor, it doesn't matter what I go to the doctor for. They, they always look at me like an MS patient, like, like with, with empathy and, and uh, care, but also... Like if I cough, they're like, so let's talk about your MS, you know, and how this is connected maybe. And, uh, and so it can be a bit frustrating, but I, I knew, I kind of knew, I guess, going into this appointment that they were going to, to say something about MS. But uh, I saw a different doctor than my normal person. And 
almost immediately. It went from, I think I'm getting eye drops, to uh, this, this woman saying to me, here's the deal. This seems MS-related. You need to get treatment or you might go blind. Oh, good morning to you too. Um, hi, you know, can I just get the eye drops? And so uh, it, it was funny because I don't think about MS much. And uh, if you've been around any time at all, you know that I, I don't really have symptoms of anything uh, that I can tell. Uh, sometimes I feel weird, but I can't tell if it's just, you know, getting older or, or MS. And, and there's nothing to speak of, you know. When you think of MS, you think of somebody in a wheelchair or somebody that, uh, that has major problems. And I don't have any of those. And uh, so I don't think about it very much. But, you know, with those words, it, it, was, it was like everything came back uh, from nine years ago or whatever when I was diagnosed. And, and when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, what led to that diagnosis is uh, one morning I was taking a shower and I was shampooing my hair and these fingers felt tingly. I thought, that's kind of strange, you know, like they were asleep and kind of shook them and no big deal. And then within two days, I felt like that everywhere. And I went from, you know, being, uh, I was a college baseball player not long before this and uh, fairly good athlete, and I could not throw, and there are people here that can attest to this because of an infamous game of ultimate frisbee with the Mormon missionaries that I cost us terribly. Um, I could not throw anything. I couldn't even hit you, like collectively, because I couldn't feel right. I could no longer type. The game of ultimate frisbee was the low point of life athletically for me. It's like we were playing for salvation, and I couldn't catch a frisbee, you know, and it was a horrible, horrible experience. I couldn't jump higher than this, which at 34 years old, I'm kind of back to now, but, uh, but I, I, I couldn't do anything and I I don't think about that I mean I don't sit around and think about that stuff but when you hear treatment or you go blind it's like it all flooded back in a strange way and uh, good news is before I continue to connect that to a sermon um, good news is I went to the ophthalmologist. I've learned that there's an H in that, so it's ophthalmologist just this week. I've only been to the eye doctor three times now in my whole life because I have good eyes. And uh, uh, there is no evidence to support that it's connected to MS. That's the official word. I still uh, have a weird eye, but uh, but that's the official report as of right now for you. But uh, it all came back, and what came back as I was thinking about it, and, and probably with this sermon in mind, is that I went back then from, from really taking for granted that I could walk to uh, run, to throw a ball, to play basketball with friends, to questioning whether I'd be able to do anything. The, the first day they mentioned MS to me, I, uh, I went to uh, the bakery that used to be over in Bridgeport. I think it was Bridgetown Bakery back then or something to that effect. And I Googled MS and, uh, and I, I went gluten-free in a bakery and I've never looked back. So that, that was crazy to do that. I should have had one more cookie, just one more cookie before I made that decision. But I actually walked over to Borders. Uh, it was Borders back then after Googling MS and I was on the phone with my dad and I, I looked up multiple sclerosis, went to a section, 
and I opened this book. <laughs> this was the worst idea I've ever had. It was like Googling your symptoms, right? <laughs> but I opened this book, and the first page I opened to was, I don't know how to say this. Uh, I'm going to say it in the nicest way possible. It was, it was contraptions to help you in marital relationships. And I wasn't married at the time, uh, and you can, you can just let your mind go where you think it needs to go, because that's where, what I meant. And I'm talking to my dad, and I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> like, this is bad. And the next page I flipped to was the walking machines that you can choose from. And, and none of it said, like, you, you, you may be able to continue to walk for the rest of your life. It was like, here's your choices. They're getting better. And I remember being there, my dad and I, and, and this is just a family, you know, maybe problem or maybe good thing, I don't know, but we laugh at things and times we probably shouldn't laugh. And I remember just laughing like, wow, I was fine yesterday, you know? I mean, it was just a little tingly, and now I'm picking walking machines for the rest of my life. Uh, and so what happened in the months that followed is, is that I... Uh, I, I really started, because the symptoms kind of faded, and, and they've been faded really ever since, uh, I really, in those first few months, loved things that I never thought I could love. And I would wake up and exercise, which I, I've consistently exercised my whole life, but I remember I had this little slogan that made exercising seem so much better. And as I'd run, I'd say, today you can. And it was like, I can do this. And you're out on a run, and almost every time I had run up to that point in my life, I've thought, I wish I didn't have to do this today, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, when I was faced with not being able to, it was amazing at, at how much I liked to. And what we see in this passage of scripture this morning uh, really connected. I, I, you know, I wasn't just going to throw in that story for no reason, but it really connected because Paul says that we have the ability to do something because of the resurrection. And it's something, honestly, that if you've been a Christian a long time, and this has been kind of the heart of the series, if you've been a Christian a long time, then, then you maybe don't even think about the benefits of the resurrection because you've kind of lived with them and you're, you live in them. And so you take for granted these things that we gain from Jesus getting out of the grave. And, uh, and, and even more, this is the weird part of this sermon, I think. This advantage that the resurrection gives us is one that, that we don't like. I think it's a little bit like being able to run, you know? I mean, we don't like it all the time, and, and we almost think of it as a burden. But, but as I consider, like, what if this ability was taken away from me, what we're going to see in this story or this passage? What if it was taken away from me? Then maybe we would treasure it a little bit more. And, and what Paul says is, is we didn't have it before Jesus died and rose again. We were unable to do this thing that we're going to look at today. And now we can because Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And, and I hope that as we look at this, this is kind of the goal, that, that you'll leave this morning kind of like I was, you know, nine years ago or whatever. Like, today I can, and so I should. And, and I'm going to enjoy that I can even more. And, and so we're going to look at Romans 7. Uh, we'll start in verses 1 through 3. But before we look at that, uh, we'll, we'll look all the way through verse 6 today. And, and, and I would encourage, even before we start, for you to go home and read Romans, Romans 7, 7 through 25. 
primarily because it's, it's like the weirdest written part of the Bible. Uh, but it's really interesting because Paul has this whole dialogue almost with himself about how he does the things he doesn't want to do and doesn't do the things he wants to do and the things he wants to do he doesn't do and wants to do does do. And it's like this whole kind of weird thing that to read out loud, and I've read it in sermons before, absolutely the worst passage of scripture in the whole Bible to preach on because reading it is atrocious. Like people are like, what did you just say? But I would encourage you to read it because Paul deals with this real human struggle. Just I do things I don't want to do and I don't do things that I do want to do you know like my life doesn't always align with what I value with what I what I think of as moral and what I think is good I I just don't always live out even though I strive to and I want to and and as part of this greater section in Romans 7 that really is about the law, the Old Testament law, the list of rules that we've talked about in this series a lot already, that, that the Old Testament, the, the back, the first part of the Bible, that the, the Jewish people had this very strict set of rules that they needed to live out and follow in order to have a good relationship with God. And we've talked about how Paul grew up thinking and he was educated to think I need to live out these rules if I'm going to have a good relationship with God. And last week, we actually talked about how Paul deals with this concept of, wait, what do we do with the rules if we now know that we don't have to follow the rules in order to have a relationship with God? That in fact, following the rules will never get a relationship with God. What does that look like now? And we said, well, now we obey the rules because Jesus has forgiven us and no longer do we follow them in order to get the relationship with God. We actually follow them because we have a relationship with God. And Paul here dives further into this topic. And really what he wants to do here is is to talk about how we in Jesus, if we are Christians, because of his resurrection, the bondage of the law has been severed. We've been set free from the law. Now, that's a weird thing for Paul to say because of what I said last week, that, that a lot of the rules are good, right? And I think we know that. Like a lot of the stuff God tells us that, that we know in the Bible, we just, even if you're not a Christian, we all together as humans kind of believe like these are good things. I, I shouldn't rob people. I, I shouldn't steal. I, I shouldn't lie to people. I, I shouldn't murder people. I shouldn't have an affair with my neighbor's wife. You know, I mean, these are all, these are all good ideas. Ideas, even though they won't get you into a relationship with God, they're all good things and we should live them out. So what does Paul mean? What is Paul thinking about? What does Paul have in mind when he says that we're under the bondage of the law? And it's interesting, much of Romans is actually about that very topic. And I don't want to dive too deeply in it, but I just want to lay just a teeny bit of groundwork before we look at these verses. What Paul kind of has in mind is first that the law shows us that we are sinful. Paul says that. He says, look, there was morality before the law of God showed up, before the Ten Commandments were given to you, before God said, here's what's good and here's what's bad. There was already morality, and and we believe that that morality is connected to the very character and nature of God. And there are things that just don't align with the character and nature of God. Murder has always been bad, but then God wrote a law down that said it's bad. 
And so Paul says, look, here's one of the things the law does to you. It makes you realize how bad you are. It makes you see that you could never live up to the standards of God. Before it was written down, you might have said, well, I lie a little bit, but how bad is that really? And then God shows up and says, lying is bad. You're like, I never can live up to the standards of God. And so in some ways, we are under the bondage of the law simply because the law has shown us how sinful we truly are, how far away we are from being able to earn a relationship with God, which leads to the second way that Paul, I think, would tell us we're under the bondage of the law. And that is, once we realize that we could never fulfill the law perfectly, it just stands there saying, you'll never be good enough, you'll never be good enough, you'll never be good enough. And if, notice this, and this is what a lot of people do, if we are constantly trying to work our way into a relationship with God, then the law will always stand there as a burden reminding us of how far we have to go. I mentioned last week, just, just really briefly, kind of in passing, that, that some of you may have grown up in churches that are what we would, we would call legalistic, where, where you were led to believe that, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, and yeah, that's how you grant, are granted a relationship with God, but you also better follow all of these rules to have that relationship with God. And if you grew up in a home like that, then you know how much the law can be a burden because you'd say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna really, to focus and I'm going to strive. And I went to that youth camp and I, I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to burn my records, you know, because they have unchristian lyrics. That's a real thing. If you didn't grow up in church circles, then you're like, what is he talking about? But if you did, that's a real thing. And like, I'm going to be perfect in order, in order that God will love me, even though I kind of been told that God already loves me, but I'm going to really fight to make sure he still loves me. You know you know how much of a burden the law can be because you, you just tried so hard. And yet at the end of the day, you fell so short. And so Paul looks at the law as this burden, not because it was inherently bad, but because we are inherently bad and because we could never fulfill it. And, and as long as Jesus had not done anything about it, we were just slaves to it. And he says, look, look, look. Jesus has come to sever the bondage of that law. Have you ever, just by way of illustration, had anybody place unfollowable rules upon you? Like, you just know there's no way. You know how frustrating that is? Like, there's just no way I'm ever gonna live that out. There's no way that's ever going to happen. Like, have you ever looked at an employee handbook and, and they give you like a thousand things to do in five minutes to do it. You know, like it, there's no way. The customer's gonna be mad at me if I go down this list of things that I'm supposed to do. It's like not going to happen. And then maybe you've had this experience, like you get a new boss in and the boss just read the handbook for the first time and they're like, we're gonna do them all. And you've worked there and you're like, there's no way. And so you're in trouble because like, hey, you need to do this. And you're like, well, it's literally impossible to follow all the 250 rules that they've put into that handbook because somebody messed up once or whatever, you know, and, and it's never going to happen, then you kind of know the feeling that Paul is talking about. And Paul says, look, Jesus died and he rose again to break you free 
from this law that could never grant you a relationship to God. And, and he uses this illustration, this analogy, because the question for all of us, if we're still under the law, if we're not Christians, is like, what do I do about it? And here's what Paul says in Romans 7, 1 through 3. Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not adulteress if she marries another man. He says, hey, don't you know, do you not know, which connects back to Romans chapter 6. And it's interesting what he said in Romans chapter 6. And, and authors that write about the Bible, they write these things called commentaries. They're a little bit divided on what specifically Paul is talking about. Uh, so I'll read you the two verses that they kind of pick because I think both of them are pretty good. In Romans 6, 14, it says, you are not under the law but under grace. That's beautiful, right? I mean, Paul comes along. He says, you have felt the burden of the law. He says, I have felt the burden of the law. I have felt the legalism that exists in our culture. But hey, good news. If you become a Christian and your life is in Christ, then you are no longer under the law, but you are now under grace. That's so much better, isn't it? I mean, that is so much better. But in Romans 6, 23, he says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so connecting to one of those two things, maybe both of those two things, he says, look, let me give you an analogy. A person is bound to their marriage until the other person dies. Now, the danger in this analogy that Paul gives is to take the analogy too far, which is always the danger in every analogy. And, it, and, and this one kind of falls apart rather quickly. If you start to make Jesus the husband and the church the bride in this passage, then you get some weird twisting of theology. And really, I think it's just meant to illustrate what we kind of already know because we say it in our marriage vows, till death do us part. Right? We know that that's the language. We know that when we get married, when we say, I'm committing to this person, we are committing for a limited amount of time until the person dies, which depending on the day can seem like forever away. But you know, I mean, uh, like we commit until that person dies and then that commitment ends. And Paul says, look, here's the deal. Nobody's under the law when they've died. They are then free from the law. I mean, we don't say, hey, Bob, you're in the grave, but you still need to, you know, make sure to do all the things that God has said. That's ridiculous, right? And, and so Paul is, is just saying here, look, that law applied to you until you die. It applies to you, the law, until you die. And, and what did we see a couple of weeks ago? Paul has laid out this foundation in Romans to say this. If you give your life to Jesus, your old self is crucified with him and you are raised to life. You become a new person. And if you didn't listen to that sermon, you should go back and you can go to our website, which wilsonville.church slash new life and listen, but we laid all that out that look, Paul is not saying that, that when you become a Christian, there are some differences. Paul is saying when you become a Christian, you become a new person in Jesus and you can live an entirely different life, a better life.
And now Paul says, hey, look, you're no longer under the law, you're under grace. Hey, look, the wages of sin is death, but here's the good news. When Christ died, if you've placed your faith in him, you died with him. And when you rose again, you have a new life. And with that new life comes freedom from the law. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, you no longer have to strive and fight and, and, and make great effort to fulfill the law in order to have a relationship with God because in this new life, you have a relationship with God. And we could go down a ton of different metaphors that Paul uses about how we're part of the family of God or how we're citizens of heaven now and no longer citizens of earth. Our citizenship even changes to a new set of laws, the law of grace and and how we are adopted by God. And we could go down this list of things that Paul talks about, but it all says this, you have a new life. And in that new life, it's driven by the grace of God, the mercy of God. Now, I just just want to make so clear because it's so important that that we make this just, we just understand this because I've said it the last couple weeks, but it bears repeating one more time, that the only reason we get this new life is because God does this incredible thing that doesn't even make sense, but he connects us to Jesus' death in a very real way so that when Jesus died, somehow God looks at us and says, That was your punishment. You died with him. Jesus died a couple thousand years ago. That's crazy. But this spiritual thing happens where God looks at us and goes, you were crucified with him. And now you have this new life that is free from the burden of the law. And and then Paul just gets right down to what I think is, is... so brilliant and it connects to what I said about the ability to run and and here's what he says in verses four through six. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you died through the body of Christ. That is some spiritual crazy awesomeness that you might belong to another, to him who raised, to him who was raised from the dead in order, in order, that we might bear fruit for God for when we are in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You've died to the law in Christ. Jesus bore the penalty of you not obeying the law. You died in it and you were delivered over. You were delivered so that now if you're a Christian, you become Jesus. And it all happened through the body of Christ. I I just love that imagery and I know I've said it three times now. But it's just amazing. I don't even understand it. I, if, I, if I tried to launch into some explanation, I would do a very poor job. It's just incredible to me. That somehow, some way, when Jesus died, our death was wrapped up in that because we didn't feel it, right? Nobody drove nails into my hands. Nobody placed a crown of thorn on my brow. Nobody drove nails through my feet. Nobody whipped my back so badly that my skin all ripped off. That didn't happen to me. But God connects us to Jesus so that Jesus bears that suffering and I gain the results and the good that comes from it. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. 
And so Paul says, look, you've been freed from the law. And then he gives us a why. And this is the part that I think if, if you are a Christian that's honest, and maybe even if you're not a Christian who's honest, you would, you would say, this is why, this is what I, I'm not, I don't really like about the Christian faith. This is one of the reasons I don't become a Christian. But if you're a Christian who's being honest, you say, like, I think maybe this is the part that I don't always love about being a Christian. This almost feels as a burden. It almost feels like going out for a run. And this is why. Not just so you could get to heaven, not so that you could have your sins forgiven, but in this passage, and those things are true, but in this passage, in order that we might bear fruit for God. We are connected to the death and resurrection of Christ. We are set free from this law that was a burden that we could never live up to, that we could never fulfill. We were set free from all of that by the death of Jesus because of what he did in his body. We were set free from that because of the resurrection in order that we might, that we might bear fruit to God. Bear fruit to God. Now, we don't talk in these terms this bearing fruit idea very often but but really i mean if i could just say it in in normal human terms so that we might do stuff for god i mean we didn't just get saved so that we could feel better about ourselves so that we could get to heaven what what it says here is is if you're a christian god has given you this right in order that you might do stuff for god in order you might please him, in order that you might benefit him, in order that you might bless him, in order that you might honor him, in order that you might bring him glory. In John 15, 8, we read this. This is to my Father's glory. This is Jesus talking. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, notice this, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Isn't it really interesting that Jesus, even before Paul writes, even before the disciples would have understood the resurrection, even before Christians knew that they could be set free from the burden of the law, even before we knew all of the great stuff that his death and resurrection would bring, even before all that, he says, hey, I, I want you to understand something, that bearing fruit, doing stuff for God, is how people will actually know that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not actively doing things for God, then, then nobody's going to know that you're actually a, a Christian. There's different kinds of fruit that are listed in the Bible. There's different kinds of stuff that we do that pleases God, that honors God, that glorifies God. And, and some of it is within us. It's just what happens on the inside of us. For example, the famous fruit of the, of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, I mean, that list, we all like it, right? You can read it. We all like those things. I don't think anybody goes, I want to be less patient. I just wish that I could grow up and be impatient, you know? I mean, nobody, nobody goes, I wish I was less loving, right? I mean, nobody says, I wish I was less joyful. I just wish I was a little more sad, you know? Nobody, nobody thinks like that. And as Christians, what we believe is that Jesus came and he died and he rose again in order that we can do stuff for God. And some of the stuff that we can do from God, we love. We can be patient and we can be forgiving and we can have joy and we can be more kind to others. And let me just pause and say some days, some days that feels like a burden. Does it not? 
I mean, there are days where I, I, just, I, I, I just wish that I could be less kind to certain people. There are days, there are people, in fact, and the days are because that you see those people. You know, I mean, there, there are moments in time where I just, I just want to be a jerk. But the resurrection has made me more kind. Now, there are moments when I am a jerk, but there are moments when I want to be more of a jerk, and this feels like a burden. If I could just give them a piece of my mind, if I could just tell them what I really think, and somewhere always is God's spirit saying, wait a minute. But what's, what the problem is, what I think is the problem, is that we have as Christians those moments too much, and we go, oh, I gotta be nice to that person. Or, oh, I hate that I have to be good. You know, I mean, I really don't like that I have to be good. And if you're not a Christian, admit it. Uh, maybe just maybe a little bit of you is not a Christian because you don't want to have to be good. You like your parties. And you think that we as Christians take away all the fun because we're trying to be so good. And as Christians, we're like, I just, oh, if I could just do that one thing and be a little less what I know is good, I would like it. But I think when we forget, or when we remember, when we remember that goodness and kindness and self-control were not ours to be had on any deep, profound level before Jesus died and rose again, doesn't it maybe just a little go, wow, I get to be more kind. I get to be more loving. I get to do more good. Salvation Army. I mean, I get, I get an opportunity to live out this fruit of the Spirit. I can have more joy and I can be more loving because Jesus died and he, and he rose again. In Colossians 1, 10 through 12, Paul says that he's been praying for this church in a city called Colossae. And he says, this is what he's been praying, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. He just said, look, here's the fruit, man. I mean, there's so much here, like doing good works, and he says, growing in the knowledge of God. And he says, being strengthened. He says, so that you might have great endurance and patience and you might give joyful thanks. Let me be just honest with you. Most Christians I know look at all of those things as a burden. All of those things that we get to do, all of that fruit that we can produce as Christians, we almost we do. I think the majority of Christians that I know see them as a burden. Like, I don't want to do good works for God. I want to live my regular, normal, everyday life. I want to look just like everybody else, go to work, come home, watch my TV shows, go to bed. Good works? That's a burden to a lot of people. Or growing in the knowledge of God. I said this a couple weeks ago, maybe last week. Like, how often do we say, like, I should read the Bible more? And Paul, Paul says, and Paul makes this clear because he talks about like the gospel story, the story of Jesus in terms of mystery a lot. He said, look, like people can learn about Jesus and what he did, but people don't really understand it until they have a relationship with Jesus. And here he says, look, you now have the ability to produce fruit. You can actually understand God better on a deep, profound, in a deep, profound spiritual sense. And we go, really? I got to learn more about God. 
I should read the Bible more. And, and, then, and then, like, you know, this other stuff. I mean, it's all stuff that we don't necessarily, we like being strengthened. We'll take that one. God strengthened me today, you know? Like, we like that benefit, so I'll skip it. Um, but, but the other one here, like, I mean, giving joyful thanks. I mean, come on, admit it. Sometimes you show up here on a Sunday morning and you think, I just got to sing those songs, you know. Let's go five minutes late so we miss that opening song. That was most of you this morning, actually. So, I mean, come on, admit it. It's like, I have to do that? Like, you know, I need another cup of coffee. And, and Paul is saying, I mean, you can do with this what you want, but Paul is saying, hey, you need to understand that before Jesus died and rose again, you just had this law that was a burden that you could never fulfill. You were under it. You needed to try hard to do good and to be better, and, and, and it just you felt the weight of it. And I think even if you're not a, a person that believes the Bible, you feel that weight of needing to be better and hoping that it's good enough to get you into heaven someday. And, and Jesus shows up, he dies, he rises again. He says, look, you want to know how you get a relationship with God? It's through me, but I want you to know that I didn't just die and rise again for your benefit. I did it so that you could do stuff for God. You can be kind and loving and peaceful and joyful. And, oh, by the way, you can maybe like that stuff, even though sometimes it feels like a burden, but also so that you could do stuff like grow in your knowledge of God and so that you could do good works and so that you could joyfully thank and praise God. Hebrews thirteen fifteen mentions that whole talking thing again. The fruit of the lips, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. Part of the fruit is just to talk about Jesus and what he's done for us. And I've been convicted for months now about how I just don't, Jesus is not a part of enough of my conversations unless it's like in a church setting. Like, why don't I just tell people how much God has done for me or how thankful I am for God? And, and I see it almost as a, a burden, you know, like I, I have to do this for Jesus. I have to talk about him more. But, but this is what it's saying. Like, you now are able to just talk great about God because you know how much he has done for you. Or, or Paul in Philippians 4.17 in the English Standard Version Paul speaking about giving money to ministry. Now that I seek the, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And what Paul's saying is, look, I think you should give money to ministry. That's what he's saying. You should give money to the ministry of God. And he says, look, I don't, I don't have any need for money right now. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4. Like, I don't, I don't, I have everything I need right now, but I think you should give money to ministry because it's a way that you can produce fruit to God. How many of you go, yes, I get to give some money to church, you know? I mean, how many of you, even just that I'm mentioning it right now, it's a little uncomfortable for a lot of you, right? Like, oh no, here comes the money talk. We've only been here for five weeks now and it's already happening, you know? We think of these things as a burden, and Paul says, look, Jesus died and rose again so that you might have a new life. And in this new life, you can produce fruit unto God. It's a, it's a benefit that you gain because Jesus died and rose again. And I'm here, and, and even he says, he even says like before this, you only produce fruit unto death. Like you couldn't produce anything that was good. And, and let me just be so clear. I know this isn't so popular to say, 
But nothing good that a person does apart from Christ will ultimately matter because it will die when the people they have served dies. But as Christians, we produce fruit. We can produce fruit that lasts for eternity. It will never go away. And it's all because Jesus died and rose again. Now, this ability, thankfully, will not be taken from us. But I genuinely believe that if you always think of these things as rights that we just have as human beings, of course I can give money to God's ministry. Which, by the way, if you're not a Christian, I'm not even sure how much of that would benefit. We, you can give money to us all you want, but, but the real fruit is for the Christian. The real fruit is for the Christian because they'll reap the benefits someday in eternity. They will, they will have greater joy when they enter into the gates of heaven because of what they do now. And I just think as long as we take for granted these things that are called fruit in the Bible, this stuff that we are able to do for God, then we won't enjoy the work that we do for God or we just won't do it at all. There. Uh, I had a couple of students who interviewed me this week, and uh, they had an assignment to interview somebody that does vocational ministry. Uh, and so they sat down and they asked me questions, and they, they, they asked this question, what's the best part of, of doing ministry? And, and it's, one, it's the easiest answer. It's the easiest answer that I, I could give, and it is simply this, having an impact, a positive impact on other people's lives. And as I answered that question for one of these students, I, I was taken back because they asked, what, what was a moment that kind of led to this? And I've told this story before, but I, 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 I want to share it again. And um, when I I don't even, I might have shared it within the last few weeks. It seems like I did, but I don't remember what sermon it was in. But uh, when I was a senior in high school, I'm going to make this story shorter. I was able to take a mission trip to San Diego, southeast San Diego. And uh, because I communicate clearly and uh, am not scared to speak in front of people, somebody said, you should give your testimony tonight when we talk to these kids. And so I stood up, I shared about my life, and... Uh, said, hey, Jesus got me through all this. You should become a Christian. That's that pretty much the deal. And the next day, and I, I've told you this, you've been around, you know this, but this kid named Mikey comes up to me, little Hispanic boy that lives in southeast San Diego that is pretty much an extension of Mexico where we were. So I have nothing in common with this kid. And he says, hey, can you take a walk with me? And we weren't even allowed to go outside because we're in a very dangerous neighborhood. And And he's like, can you take a walk with me? I said, probably not, but I'll ask somebody. And again, and I've said this before too, I don't know what youth leaders like, go ahead. It's probably the one that I lipped off to or something the day before. Go get him, Chad. Um, I don't know who let me go outside, but we took this walk. And the first thing I remember him saying to me is, your life is just like my life. I, mean, I don't think so. And, and he went on to share some stuff and just lined up and and I led him and his brother to a relationship with Jesus that night. And, and I remember, and this is the, this is the moment that, that, it's one of those moments that drives me to do what I do. Uh, the night we were leaving to drive back to our, our beautiful 
little place that we were staying, Point Loma uh, University, overlooking the water. We're leaving these kids who are impoverished, and, and these kids are climbing on the bus because they had so much joy because of what Jesus had done inside of them. And I want you to know, and maybe you've never experienced anything like it, there is nothing, nothing like that feeling to know that you have impacted somebody. And I believe, while much of what I do in ministry is sacrificial, there is a part of it that is just chasing that feeling. I, I, the way I would describe it is if, you're, if you have ever played a sport and you loved winning, which I do love winning, you want to chase that feeling again, you know, and you're willing to lose in order to win because it feels so good. But even winning, as much as I love winning, does not compare to the feeling of producing fruit and especially the fruit of impacting another life. Nothing like it. And I chase it every single week. And what Paul says here is that it was impossible it was impossible to bear that fruit or any other fruit if Jesus had not died and rose again. And I want you to know that if you are a Christian person, then you need to remember that this was not just something that we were born with innately. We could not produce fruit. It only comes as we place our faith in Jesus. And I want you to remember that because I... Because I know what it feels like to have something that you take for granted threatened. And when you remember that it was not just something that we deserved or we earned or that we were granted because we were born and we're human, that it makes trying to bear fruit so much easier and so much more joyful. And if you're a person who serves our church faithfully and works to produce fruit here, I just want to say be encouraged. And when you come next Sunday and you show up and you help set up or, or you do something this week for our church because you want to produce fruit, just, just know that this is a benefit. This is not a burden. This is a benefit. The law was a burden. Producing fruit is a benefit of the death and resurrection of Christ. And if you're a person that, that isn't doing anything, do something because nothing feels better. And, and I think, I mean, people are here at 745. People have been here at this church this morning for, for three and a half hours or whatever already. And they do it. You want to know why? They do it because they believe that producing fruit is great and they want to do it for the glory of God. And so they show up and nobody complains here. I mean, I'm maybe at a different church, but nobody complains and we have a good time and there's purpose and we do our best. And it's all because, not because I think, it's not because we're better than other people or, or we've grown more spiritually even. I think it's because we want to produce fruit and we see that a life apart from producing fruit is just a waste of time. And so if you're not doing something, do something. It could be here through our church. Ask me about it, but it could be somewhere else. Go do something for the glory of God because Jesus died and rose again so that you could. And if you're not a Christian, I would also say, I think part of the reason you want to be is because you're like, well, I got to wake up on Sunday and sing those songs that I don't really like. Or they're going to try to take all my money. Or 
I already have enough going on in life, you know? I mean, I just don't have time to help foster care kids, you know, because I got enough. Your life, apart from Christ, is the burden. What we get to do is a blessing or a benefit or any other B word you want to fit in there. I mean, and, and every person that I know who faithfully serves Jesus and has seen the fruit. This makes me emotional. I don't know why. But none of us would trade it. Even on the terrible days, none of us would trade it. And so for all of us, my encouragement is this. You need to understand that it took Jesus' horrific death on a cross and his resurrection in order for you to produce fruit that will last for eternity. And so... So wake up every day and say, today I can, today I can. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we all fall into the trap of looking at the life we have in you, the things that we get to do for you as a burden. But I do pray, God, that we would understand, believe, even feel the wonderful blessing it is that it is. And, and God, some of us know just how beautiful it is when we see fruit produced, God. And, and just as I'm praying, I'm thinking like in those moments, Jesus, and I had one of these last night, but these moments, Lord, where, where I am deeply singing to you on some spiritual level that goes far beyond my intellect, it's fantastic, it's like you don't want to leave those moments. And those moments where I've been able to lead people to accept you as their savior, God, it's the best. And God, when I get the response cards that I'll ask for in just a moment, God, to be able to read and see that you used my, my words to change the heart of a person, there's nothing better. And Lord, as Brandon talked about earlier, just going and, and going to the DHS office, and I wasn't a part of the event that he mentioned, God, you know that, but, but I've, I've been over to the DHS office to serve ice cream to those workers and, and to know, God, that they were like so thankful, the DHS workers, that we would scoop ice cream for them and, and to know that, God, they saw love in a different way, despite us feeling like we should give them so much more. Nothing better. And it all came because you died and rose again, Lord. And I pray that all of us would want nothing more than to produce fruit because we know what you produced for us, a new life, Jesus, by giving us your life through your death and resurrection. I pray these things in your name. Amen.